Hello and welcome to another episode-ish of the Knife Life Podcast. Frank isn't able to join us. He's probably saving somebody's life or piecing back their brain together. Probably a little bit of both, right? Um, and so we're here just uh, killing time in the, some kind of virtual waiting room, I guess you could call it. And we thought that we might as well just record some of our thoughts and some of our conversation. We were already having it anyway, so... Might as well put on some tape and bring you guys into it. So my name is Eugene Kwan, and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube under that name. My name is Mike. You can find me at Bloom and Blade on Instagram. I'm Charlie. Um, I'm accidentally knives on Instagram. Yeah, and so in the spirit of uh, waiting for Frank to improve somebody's life, you know, we were thinking about different things we could talk about, and we just kind of kept coming back to this idea of knives that we like or knives that are popular, knives that are well-known by people, uh, but that we, that, and that we also love, but that maybe we could improve in one way or another or, or, or would like to see improved in one way or another. Um, something that uh, we think, yeah, maybe this knife is something that a lot of people enjoy and really um, have a lot of uh, appreciation for, but maybe there's just that one thing that could be changed to make it, a perfect 10 out of a 10, or at least cl- as close to it as it can get. So, yeah, we have a bunch of different ideas and thoughts about that. Um, yeah, either of you guys have one in mind that you wanted to start with? So, I guess I kind of want to preface this by saying these are all knives that are really good, so mm-hmm. it is pretty much we're just going to be nitpicking for the next hour. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, true. we can kind of start on the lower end, at least lower end for us, right? Um, let's do Benchway 940. Okay. Sure. Yeah. That's a funny one to start with because Charlie <laughs> told me how lucky I got because I've had one 940. I don't have it anymore. Um, and I got, and I just happened to get one that was perfect. No play, perfectly centered, everything dead on about it. So I was like, wow, what a great knife. Uh, wasn't crazy about design, so I ended up dumping it. But I realized, you know, afterwards that I got super, super lucky with the one mm-hmm. I got. Is it, is it one of those things you kind of look back and your memory kind of changes and morphs into this new thing? And you're like, oh, it didn't have any play. But in reality, probably did. You could be right about that. That was a long yeah. time ago. I... But my memory was that, you know, all the things that were specific, like your first specific questions. And I had had maybe a dozen knives by then. But <laughs> the, um, the any specific questions like, you know, obvious blade play was it. And it was perfectly centered. So those two off the bat were cool. And I feel like I was ahead of the game even just with that. Um, but you t- you're right, Charlie. I'm sure if I had that same one now, I would be dissatisfied by something in it. And yeah, I mean, Charlie's on a little knife for uh, Yeah, so I, I've owned, um, I think, 15 total 940s. Uh, <laughs> so I've owned, you know, like the 1501, I've owned the 943, the 940. Uh, it was like another sprint run I had. Um, I had the, I've had a lot of 940s. But the one I always come back to for sentimental reasons is always the 941. Yeah. And that's always, for whatever reason, the one they suck most at making. Mm. Uh, so I guess in the past, I don't know, month and a half, I somehow found myself with about 10 of these guys <laughs> uh, from different states, <laughs> different countries. <laughs> Like from obviously different stores, uh, a lot of them are like hand picked. So out of these, I would say two are passable. Uh, in terms of n- none are flawless, so automatically that that doesn't at least in my eyes none are flawless. There's always something. Um, I've yet to actually even find one with uh, quote unquote like a perfect grind on the spine. Mm. Um, there's like three areas they always get wrong. There's that little. There's the first. And the first major one near the tip, that's always crooked. Sometimes it's straight. Yeah. Transition between the clip and then the... mm -hmm. And then there's another transition where it's kind of like, I guess, where your thumb ramp is supposed to be. It's it's where the swedge is. That Mm -hmm. one is sometimes crooked. And also Mm -hmm. the two swedges, the the transition to them, they're usually not even. 
and then you get to the blade grind is sometimes not symmetrical as in very often not symmetrical the bevels are almost always uneven uh sometimes too large um whatever and then you have pretty much most of them have blade play if you want if the action is where it's supposed to be um off center but obviously you can fix it uh since bench blade liners are really weak so you can kind of you can tweak the centering but they really come nice out of the box but it's yeah so let me let me get this straight the your biggest complaint about the 940 is not the actual like say the design the idealized idea concept of the 940 but it's execution by benchmate right so um, okay okay yeah yeah no that makes sense when it comes to functionality i think reverse tonto is amazing i think the axis lock is by far the most functional lock or you know the, the one you can pull out of your pocket use and put back easily um Mm -hmm. so if you were literally trying to cut something and nothing else 940 is great and then another thing is like as you get higher and higher up the custom world you're really just left with a bunch of frame locks a bunch of liner locks so an axle lock is just very different from that as an experience Mm -hmm. uh, you know to make whole so to speak so it occupies a, a very unique niche yeah yeah, so how do you feel then about like some of these other companies that are starting to put out, well, they can't call it an axis lock, of course, right, because that, that mm, name right. is still trademarked, but, but the design itself um, having, uh, with, with, the, with the patent having expired, how do you feel about some other companies giving, you know, taking a shot at it themselves? Like, who would you like to see make an axis lock version? So, I mean, they, they've made... Uh, similar locks, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even before the patent expired, you have the spiderco ball bearing lock, right? You have sure. the SOG, whatever, arc lock. Arc lock, yeah. Arc lock, yeah. Yeah, that oh. all function kind of similarly. Um, you know, it's... They're all... It, it's 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 kind of hard to compare them. Obviously, the, the biggest crux of the... The, the access lock is the Omega Spring, right? And I've already broken one in, like, the month I've had. Um, You've already broken one? I've broken one out of the 15, I mean, I guess out of the, the 30. The 30. <laughs> yeah, no, one already broke, and they, they just won't ship them out either, so it's, uh, it's a pain yeah. in the ass. Uh, sure, sure. Did you ever it, handle one of Shirogorov's, um quote-unquote, access lock Nice. Yeah, I have. So, yeah, what were your thoughts um, on that? Yeah, I mean, they they only have them on the super duper long knives. One is the Tarbigan or whatever, and the other one is the Shirogorov One Ten. I think the, those are the two where you have them, and it's exactly what you would think it is. It's just a smoother, <laughs> better made. <laughs> knife um but it's too big um uh, okay and, and honestly if you get a sugar off you should get a flipper that's like there, there's no reason to get anything else mm-hmm. um until mm-hmm. you, you you become like a legitimate shiro collector and you already have all the flippers that's when you can kind of <laughs> justify these other like techno bamboos or whatever yeah sure. then you yeah just for completionism yeah yeah uh, th- there's no reason to own a shiro on washers on a shiro is a bearing flipper if you want the sheer experience, you need to have a bearing flipper. Sure. Yeah. Right, right, right. It's like ordering fish at, at the barbecue joint. Although I'm sure right. like there's some places that do it well. But yeah, I mean, that's what immediately yep. pops into my head. <laughs> All right, Mike, um, I'm going to pass it to you. Um, yeah, what's a knife Chris that Reed you... Sabenza. Oh, Let's do that. Let's oh do that shoot. One. Oh, the Sabenza? The iconic one, yeah. God, I wish I had a Sebenza in front of me. And I'm cheating because I asked Char- I had to ask some refresher questions. It's been a long time. You know, I don't have, I guess, the clip, like you said, isn't bad. The only thing I really don't like, didn't like, was the thumb stud. Um, volcano? Say that again? Volcanoes? The volcano? You're not into volcanoes? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> don't like volcanoes. Uh, yeah, that was the only gripe I had about that one, and it was pretty... Wasn't even like a really big gripe. I think that knife, as you know, classics or whatever goes, go. That's pretty fucking solid. 
I mean, yeah. I don't think yeah. you can dig on a Sebenza too much. Um, I don't have any now. I've had a lot of them. Um, the small Sebenza in Singo sticks out as one of my favorites, and I really maybe the, th- the thumb stud, but that would be really my only my only gripe with it. Pretty minor. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that with a knife like the Sebenza that's been produced for so long, it's it's one of those things that they really have perfected over time and, yeah, and changed, transformed, you know, just iterated on again and again and again. It's, it's hard to find big flaws with that knife. Yeah, they're really, really good. It makes me want to get one again because I went through a ton of, <laughs> a, I went through a lot of them, maybe six or seven of them in a pretty short time. Oh, wow. And that okay, was my yeah. introduction. Like, I, I got a Semenzis came pretty early when I discovered knives. And it's also a knife that you can pretty instantly figure out why it's maintained mm-hmm. the status that it has. Because right. as soon as you have it in hand, everything about it just makes sense. That's that's exactly right. You know, that was and, my first expensive knife, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, up to that point, I was such a hater, you know, just thinking, like, there's no way that a knife mm-hmm. could ever be worth more than $200, you know? Mm-hmm. And finally pointed out the money just because I was so curious and when I did it just it, it all clicked together just like you're saying it, it came together I was like I get it I see why um, yeah I think you'd be hard yeah. pressed if someone did finally get it and then you know they were like ah this thing's a piece of crap I wouldn't trust their opi- <laughs> I wouldn't trust their opinion about a lot of stuff I'd, I'd write them off right away because it's yeah, not it's great harsh. I should have one yeah. <laughs> All right. I think you guys are being very generous. Uh, if you would like, I have several complaints. Oh, uh, you got one complaint. Right. Before you Good. get to your list, I have one complaint. And but this is more of a philosophical thing. I think it's it's like kind of like what you're saying with a 940. It's a good knife in idea, but then the execution is bad, um, or consistency is bad. For me, sure. the issue with the Sabenza is that it was a great knife. But it just, I don't think it's aging as well as some other some other knives. Um, like, I don't know that it is really keeping up to, you know, keeping up the pace with what else is happening in the knife world. I mean, not to say that I feel every like it's model. Right. It's like a 28-year-old yeah. knife. It's aging. Yeah, but isn't, but I mean, at this point, it's starting to, like, show, I don't know what that is in, in knife years, right? Like, but, um, like, 28. It, <laughs> like to me i kind of feel like as a company it's not i don't know you know in some ways i feel like there needs to be a little bit more innovation it's not exactly what newcomers to the knife experience are really looking for that's i think my biggest complaint with it well, it's not so a flipper. yeah it's not a flipper and it doesn't have that kind of luxurious kind of opening and closing sensation that you can get much more quickly with other knives and so, to me, it's kind of like the the Buck 110, you know? Amazing knife. People swore by these knives for entire generations. Um, okay. And they still do. But, you know, a, a person who's kind of new to the knife world, they're going to think, oh, my dad had a Buck 110. I, I know they're fantastic knives, but I might skip that knife and, and go to something that's kind of more tuned to my present tastes right now. That's what I'm worried about happening to CRK, right? You're going to have people look at the CRK and be like, yeah, I've always seen Sabenzas, and it's got that kind of iconic look to it. But, you know, there's something else that's a little more interesting right now that I'm going to skip over to, you know? Mm, That's probably my concern, or my complaint, I guess. That's fair. I'm I'm going to stress it a little bit, because I've got a few. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So I think I think the the easy one to pick at is the finish. I think it's lazy. The blast uh, people have complained about it for for a long time. Does not hide wear whatsoever compared to all of the different media blasts you have now. Um, sure, it's really easy to spa, but just kind of lazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, uh, their inlay knives have the satin satin polish or whatever you call them, right? But for whatever reason, it's be blasted on the lock bar. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Makes no sense. <laughs> but I don't know why the whole thing isn't just satin, you know? Um, also, for whatever reason, they're, um, when they do the inlays with the drop point, they offer a satin finish. Inlays with the Insingo, which is better, clearly, 
<laughs> no satin finish. So you have a satin handle, and they offer a satin blade, but only in the drop point. So you got to get a satin handle with uh, stonewash in single blade. Those are your only options. Why is that? On top of that, yeah, that's kind of odd. Uh-huh. B blast clip, B blast clip, B blast lock bar, satin handles, satin blade. Makes no sense. No <laughs> there, right? Um, I kind of wonder. I almost wonder if you know how like Spiderco, even on their non-spidey hole opening knives, they'll still have like a tiny hole as their quote-unquote trademark, you know? I so almost wonder if... Spencer's CRK... have a, a trademark lock bar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he did invent, or at least drastically popularize the, the integral frame lock, right? I mean, so... I mean, yeah, that, but not, that not might be an argument. Yeah, but not frame lock. It's not yeah. the B-blast <laughs> integral That's lock. That's true. Right? That's very true. I think it's um, sandblasted, isn't it? Is, is it yeah, B-blasted? Sandblasted? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's some kind of blast. Yeah, some kind of media yeah. blast, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also think lanyard pins are really lame. I've always thought yeah, you know, that's true. Pin mm-hmm. pretty cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost everybody I know takes it off. Mm-hmm. Lanyards are lame, and then it starts rattling. Mm-hmm. For for someone so like for like a company that kind of prides themselves on tolerances, that thing shouldn't rattle. You gotta you gotta figure out a way to make that spin, or I don't even know if that needs to really spin. I I don't use lanyards, so I'm not familiar, but I'm sure there's a way to make a spin and not rattle, right? Yeah, you know, having used a lanyard on my small Sabenza, I do think that having it spin is helpful, just for like positioning and and reaching when I'm like bent over, like trying to cut something open or something like that, and I you know I'm in kind of an awkward position. Having that free spinning is actually handy, but I think you're right. I, I do feel like um, it doesn't really... It, it seems like an odd place where the knife is very um, unfinished. You know, yep. that, that whole lanyard it's, it, idea. It, you can make it spin without having a rattle. You know, I've, I've seen things that spin without rattling in the world. So <laughs> In the world. Figure it out. <laughs> and, okay, so... What else? What else? What else um, about the Sabenza? From from the from the Sabenza twenty one to the Encosis, I don't know why they dropped the bushing bushing pivot. Um, that was like one of the things that made them really unique. You know, you can crank down or whatever, and it would never lose its centering, never lose its action. Now they just made it a, tradi- a traditional pivot, uh, which I guess is fine. It's not a big deal. I know it's more tunable, so to speak, but. I don't think that's as cool. I think, uh, you know, as a Sabenza, you're all about that bushing pivot. When people think about Sabenzas, it's bushing pivot washers, right? That's why they shouldn't ever go to, like, a Sabenza on bearings. Um, it's just kind of who they represent. Uh, when you think, when you picture Sabenza, you picture the bushing pivot. So the Nkosi move is strange to me. But um, one of the things that is kind of an advantage is they give you a free thumb stud. I don't even know why the, the 21s and stuff didn't come with two thumb studs. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of very strange um, that you have to kind of pay extra, so to speak, for a thumb stud, right? Um, yep. But I, I guess they're assuming people wouldn't, like, kind of flip-flop between left and right, you know, when they're when they're using their knives, right? I mean, I'm, I, I very rarely sure. use my, my knife in my offhand, so much less open it in my offhand. So that's probably what they're thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I think, again, customer preferences have changed where now we want the mm-hmm. dual thumb, thumb stud, even if we don't ever intend to use the offside thumb stud. Right. That's always true. Um, I think there, there's a few other things. I think, uh, like, for example, the Manandi. Um, I don't know why they changed the... Uh, the yeah, the nail neck. Yeah, Everybody yeah. likes the old one. Yep. Maybe they can come up with a new old one instead of having this new one that no one can open with one hand without pinching it between your two fingers. <laughs> yeah, I the think, old one yeah. is uh, much better. Yeah, it just it's just much better. Um, there's also, I, I guess, the tie lock has the weird milling on the thumb if you get the base model. Mm-hmm. And, and that clip is terrible. That clip is the worst clip. Uh, 
Also, you know, I think the clip is still bleed be blasted, even though the rest of the handles have this like smooth stone wash. And what's also interesting is the finish on the tie lock is the best finish on any uh, CRK knife. I don't know why they don't use it more. It hides wear. It looks good. Uh, yeah, beats me. End of end of rant, by the way. So if you guys want to move on. What's another knife that everybody's all over that has something? Anything stick out to you, Eugene? I've, I've got one. If, if you, you have one. <laughs> I, you have a lot. Well, I'm kind of curious. I feel like this is going to be cathartic for Charlie just to kind of yeah. you know, release all this. So, so, yeah, what's next? What's next, Charlie? What's something uh, that you know I kind of experience <laughs> Norseman. Let's do that. Norseman. Oh, the Norseman. It's easy, right? Easy target. Come on. <laughs> it is an easy target, but I wonder if it's so easy of a target that people is haven't it? already picked it apart. You know, haven't? Is it is that it, popular anymore? Is it an it, easy it's, target? It's it's pretty. It's an easy target, man. There's a lot of things you can say about that. Well, for me, the big thing, and actually the thing that makes me kind of turns me off from Grimsmo knives in general, even though I know they're fantastic, I know they're incredible, and again, we just are emphasizing and reiterating that that these are all great knives, but we're just, again, nitpicking, right? Uh, but for me, um, I don't know why, but that, the, the cutout of the lock bar, you know, mm-hmm. it, it you could drive a car through that, and I feel like that just throws me off. Everything what do you mean is, by cutout, like for your thumb or for your... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the actual lock bar cutout itself on the lock side, on the lock side slab. I think I'll have I to like, look that up. I feel like the gap uh, between the lock bar, um, you know, that channel that's cut out, I feel like it's just enormous. It is. Yeah, and so I don't know why, but that throws me off. And I feel like everything else in the knife is so precise are you uh, talking about? Are you talking about the presentation scale where it's? Oh no no no! I'm not talking about the access to the lock bar. I'm talking about on the lock side. Uh huh. Um, the actual cut into the lock side titanium slab that produces that creates the lock bar. Like you see that on the rask as well. The rask has a really large cut, you know, in, into the titanium. Are you, are you talking about, like, kind of the outline that... Yes, 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 yes. So, the mill line. So, you're, you're not talking about the chamfering, like, where your thumb rests. You're not talking about... No, that. no. I okay, mean, actual, okay, okay. I was going to say, I like that. I like, yeah, no, no, no. I, like I think that's lock. fantastic. Yeah, the it's, actual it's, cut it's a, for, the, for the lock bar. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, yeah. It's got very weak tolerances in the lock bar area. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Right, yeah. It, I mean, maybe they're just trying to accommodate... Um, Charlie's tendency to use toothpicks to yeah, um, say I like <laughs> but um, yeah, you, I feel you like the D10 pass so easily. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a few things I think you can. Um, or yeah. like, did you want to go first? I don't want to no. take yours. No, I don't want to go first, and I just pulled out my uh, Norseman to see if there's anything. I thought. No, I'm curious, especially since you said you have a lot of them. For I, I, did, I didn't say I have. I had a lot of them. I just said oh, okay. it's an easy target. It's it's, just it's, because... it's, a, it's a very popular knife, right? Right. For better or for worse. So I think um, so. Here's my theory on the history of the Norseman and why it's it's almost iconic. Um, so I think the Norseman kind of um, created this. A knife of raffle market. I think it was the first knife that really, you know, was only for the most part raffled instead of sold. And uh, it, it kind of founded this foundation that we have of Instagram raffles, Reddit knife raffles, Facebook raffles. I think it was largely uh, the popularity of the Norsemans. Um, and it was kind of like the first super mega hype knife um, of modern you know, modern age, give or take. I don't even know how much of this is true. Um, but to me, that, that's kind of what it felt like. It was a knife everybody had to have. It was like nobody has ever seen this action. So it revolutionized sure. that's, flipper I action, that's true. Yeah. I think. Um, maybe even to a fault. But ever since then, people have been chasing Grismo action. 
this Norseman action, right? It became like a phrasing people use to describe what mm-hmm. oftentimes was not really Grimsmo action, right? When people say a knife is a, it has this Grimsmo action, for the most time, it, it doesn't really because it's a very, it's very unique. Um, I think no blade drops faster, and I would I would never want a blade that drops faster. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got a, obviously a very unique style. Um, I kind of see it as like a, a supercar styling of sorts but not necessarily in a good way because uh styling like that when it ages um you know when it when when it first comes out it looks really unique right and you're like whoa i've never seen that before and you're like what the hell is that it's a norseman that's what it is um and then over time i guess today there's maybe like 1500 of these guys so you've seen it over and over again, day after day, for the past maybe five years now, um, which is probably when it was mainstream, and I think it does, it didn't age that well. It was a design that was very unique, and what made it unique was that it was rare, and you didn't see it often, and you can identify it from a mile away, but now those things are not necessarily a, or at least I don't have as much of a positive sentiment towards them. Mm. Uh, it's a design that's nice, but clearly I, I don't think it's just kind of strange now, right? Over time, the uniqueness kind of dies off, and then what you're left with is just the design itself. And uh, it's a very polarizing design, I think. Super I, polarizing. You, you yeah. make a good point there, and I actually I kind of wonder, Mike, for you, you with your Norseman, um, is it that kind of general shape that drew you to your Black Snow? Custom. I mean, because because they also have that kind of swell towards the the point or the end of the blade. Um, also, that kind of gentle recurve. You know, is that something? Is that like an aesthetic thing that kind of drew you to it? And have you felt like you've gotten kind of tired of seeing that? Um, that's a good question. I never thought of it in relation to the black to the black snow. Um, mm-hmm. Well. That's because there isn't fifteen hundred blacks. That's because there's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, but just yeah, the, yeah. the overall look, I never, I never thought of that. I think that the Norsemen, I don't think it's, it's still instantly identifiable because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's iconic. It's it's one of the it's the first knife that I was not interested in getting when I happened to get one. <laughs> and it was the first one that felt like this, like a high-end CNC knife. Mm-hmm. So it was a new thing to me. So it it blew me away. But beforehand, you know, I would make dumb jokes about the blade shape, too. Looks like a horse's dick or whatever. But um, <laughs> I... Uh, I slip that in. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've read that a couple times about it. But it is one that really impressed the hell out of me for all the reasons that Charlie mentioned. I had never had one that felt like this. Um yeah, the the action at the time was otherworldly. Like, yeah, it was the only just way completely, you know, it something different. Revolutionized uh, flipper action today. Um, and, for, um, and for the size too, it was uh, nice and slim, um, and it's still, the, yep. you know, the, it's pretty fucking thin compared to how uh, how big it is. It's 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 too big for me. Um, but I I also want to say I think it's aged well. You think so? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just as identifiable. I know what you mean. You know, when you're talking it's, about it's just not as special. It, once it's lost its air of like raritude or whatever, um, it's just not as special. Um, it, it's it's historically significant. I think. Yes. Uh, it like set the bar for you know machinists and uh, for everything to be entirely made in house. You know, with the bearings and with the with the hardware and everything and the attention to and that's all important. All yeah, it is all. So it set the bar. Mm-hmm. But now that other makers have kind of reached, I think, a similar skill level and execution, um, what you're left with is a knife that's looks like a dick. And the action's still really amazing. But uh, I mean, I've always thought the Norsemen's close too fast. Um, and they don't, don't flip particularly amazing by today's standards um i think they were really good back then but i mean we were talking about like old hinderer timing Mm -hmm. stuff so um but now it's 
we're, it's a different ball game, I think. And it's still one of the few knives that are, uh, it feels like it's dialed in for, for both the flipper and the thumb stud, which is pretty hard yes. to do. Um, that's what I've been sitting here alternating and it really is. Perfect. Yeah. It's so really it, well dialed for both. As, as good as you can do it, right? I think it's easy to do flipper and um, like finger flicking. I think that that's a lot easier to dial in. But flipper and thumb stud are two like different detents, I would think. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's got a lot of upgrades over the years with the uh, detent ramp, the hardware upgrades, the, um, bearing upgrades. I think the blade shape also slightly changed. Oh yeah. And it was, I guess the, the first one where you saw like the CNC milling for the, um, for the blade. Uh, I, I know they have that on a few knives now, mm-hmm. but it was kind of unique and kind of cool looking back then. Now it, it almost feels unfinished when you kind of go back and look at it. It's, it's still like, I would never get one without it because that's the Norseman look, but, you know, it, it does, I don't know. I, I don't think it, it aged particularly well for me, but that's I think interesting it's because I feel like for Charlie, like Charlie, a lot of your knives and the knives that you're interested in have a very kind of streamlined and classic look to them. Like the kind of blade shapes that will be like forever, um, yep. like what a blade would look like, you know? Uh, basically, you know, if you look at any Shirogorov, you know, essentially is what I'm saying. Um, so I could see why for you, like, this wouldn't age very well, um, because, again, it might be interesting to look at um, the first few times uh, for you, uh, but then at some point, like, you're going to want to go back to something that is going to be timeless in a sense, you know, um, or, or, you know, like, be, be kind of more quintessentially knife-like. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of the thing I was trying to connect with with um, with what you're saying uh, with you, Mike. Because um, yeah, I do feel like there is some kind of trend in this uniqueness of blade shape and uniqueness of of make and model uh, that um, that I kind of sense in your collection, at least what I've seen of it so far. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe that's those are really yeah. those are really the only two with odd. Oh, oh really? you know what? Okay. Those two, those two. No, you know what? Uh, that's not true. The Talon probably has the right. Sure. Yeah. But most of it is kind of you know just not kind as dramatic. <laughs> not as dramatic. <laughs> I I would say the uh, so obviously we we just kind of talked about the nine forty, but the nine forty blade is pretty unique too. Um, Reverse handle? Uh, you, you you think so? I think so. Uh, where where else do you see that blade shape in anywhere? Um, yeah, I don't think you see it too much in like the higher end custom world, but you do see it, I think, pretty frequently, or some kind of variation of the reverse tanto in a lot of production. Yeah, lines. but it, it's it's like I don't know. It's got a reverse tanto with a bit of the. It's got a slight sheep split look to it with the. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if sheep sure. is the right term. Well, I mean, most of the blade is flat. Actually, I, I really dislike that blade shape. But um, yeah, exactly. But just, so it's polarizing. It's equally polarizing. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Okay. And I like it. So you can't you can't really say. Oh, I see uh, what you're saying. I also okay, think yeah. it's, it's somewhat outdated, right? It's a ceramic bearing knife with a flat face detent. Um, you're going back to the grizzle here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's just. Two, two titanium slabs, no internal milling, unlike the Rask. I'm not talking about the Rask. Rask is fine. Rask is good to go. But, you know, I think ultimately it, by now it's um, it's kind of obsolete. Uh, mm. It's missing a lot of things that you would want, right? Even a sharpening choil. Um, maybe you would want a lock bar insert. So uh, this kind of sounds like you don't actually think this is a good knife <laughs> with one or two things that could be changed. It sounds like you're saying this is a bad knife. By today's standards, um, so it's historical. I, I guess okay. to me, I, I I got my first one uh, maybe three years ago, mm-hmm. and it just blew me away. Like I thought I understood what it was to have Norseman action or Grinsmo action. No, I don't think anything at the time could even remotely hold a candle to what the Norseman was, um, mm-hmm. and it was super ergonomic too. On top of that, 
Um, but it's just, I don't know, over time, it's and, and the prices have shot up 50%, right? Well, that's... Um, on top of that, while not being significantly, if any, better. Um, I've owned it, like anything from like number 40 to number like 1300. So I've owned more than a dozen of these things. So this was a funny knife for me because I got, I discovered like knives and all this shit right when Norsemen's were like a crazy valuable commodity, like $1,500 or whatever. Easy. No problem. They would go instantly. It was crazy. And just, just the timing of getting into this stuff. And then, you know, from then till now, I mean, now you can get one yeah. any day of the week, you know, unless you're looking for a really special one, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Damn steel blade or, you know, but yeah. you can get a Norseman so easily and just to watch the market change um, about them was, uh, was weird. Cause I didn't expect something like that. I mean, I assumed, I guess if, if press that there was always a high end market and always collectors and always things in demand, but I never watched something you know, I, I remember like the first changing one that was so quickly mm-hmm. and the prices, like you said, Charlie, I mean, I think when I got into it uh, from the maker, they were like 600, right? Or yeah. 650 for right a basic one. There, I think it was, it was like 500. I think they, for like the first two years, they kind of gradually raised it at uh, $10 or $20 here and there. Yeah. But and then the big just, jump was weird because for 900, you can get a lot of knives for 900 bucks. Is I think that's what the nine or nine and a quarter or whatever for like yeah, the base yeah. one, and you can get a lot for that these days. And the thing was back then, um, I don't know if you remember. Um, I think the first one that we raffled on Reddit and stuff, it went, it went in like three seconds, something like that. <laughs> it was it was insane, right? Like how, how quickly that raffle filled. For what value? For like fifteen hundred bucks? Yeah, it's like fourteen or fifteen or something like that. Mm. And you see the same thing on Instagram. It's just kind of all right. We're we're done. We're like full or whatever. Same thing for Facebook. Um, those raffles were all kind of the same thing. And I, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Is that more Norsemen's moved in raffles than uh, it did in like just selling private mm-hmm. part, so to speak. But yeah. So been I guess taken down a notch. Yeah, was kind of the original hype knife. I uh, to to me, I mean, just yeah. in my experience, it was my first very very high end knife, and my first knife that truly was a drop shot knife. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess and I me kinda... too. And me too, Eugene. Like yeah. same with Charlie. For me, that was the first you know mm. time seeing you know I got into it at that high point. So it was, I still yeah. think of the Norsemen in those terms, like. Obviously, there was a huge history before I got into this stuff, but I really think of it like that. Like, this was the hype knife. Yeah, see, I, I missed that hype because I, I was in production knives for a very long time and then just kind of recently spiked into mid-techs and, and then some CNC customs and, and other things like that. But um, I kind of missed the, the hype around the Norseman. I remember thinking, well, that is a very eye-catching blade. That's a very interesting-looking knife, and... I know Nick Shabazz loves it, you know, so it's probably yeah. a pretty decent knife in a lot of ways. Um, but it just didn't ever really grab grab me. I think because I was seeing a lot of other knives with, on paper, you know, very similar features. Um, and, yeah, we could sit and, and defend the Grimsama and say that it's totally different, you know, it's on another level, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm sure all of that is true, but... For me, as someone who was just kind of getting into bearing flippers and just getting into knives with better action than, um, say, something that I I bought for like fifty bucks or something like that, um, you know, it, it just it just seemed like a, this two hundred dollar knife that I was looking at or this three hundred dollar knife that I was right. eyeballing was still going to be close enough to this fifteen hundred dollar thing that I can't. I couldn't really imagine ever owning, you know? So, so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting how, depending on where you, when you join the, the, the nut community, how, how different, like, your understanding or attitude towards a particular knife could be. So, I mean, that's not really a, necessarily a fault of the knife on its own, but, but it is interesting how, how that could, so many interpretations could be taken from it. It's almost like that's the opposite of the Sabenzas, where you have a knife that's so classic, you know, mm. everyone can appreciate it, 
right? It can last forever, even perhaps to a fault, right? But then you have the Grimsma on the other end, the Norseman on the other end, that is this flash-in-the-pan thing that is just so crazy. Uh, it creates a new phenomenon in the knife world, but ultimately, is it really going to stand the test of time yet? I think that's an interesting question. Hey, so, I mean, if, if you want an analogy, if uh, you guys guys are into cars or whatever it's kind of like a like a ford model t or something like that or a ferrari gto you know it's historically significant but if you have one today probably doesn't work that well uh but back Relative. then it was like so the you shit, yeah. you know yeah. you're like you know uh but ultimately i think it's it's good it's i, I don't think it's it was ever 900 dollars good um, I think it was nine hundred dollars. It was worth nine hundred dollars when the raffles were going for a second for fifteen hundred dollars. But I don't think it has all the pieces for a nine hundred dollar knife to justify that price right now. Um, maybe at the time when it was like head and shoulders above everything else, just not not so much anymore. It's still a good knife, but it's really expensive for what it is, especially with competition where it is now. And that kind of brings me to my, I guess, my pick for a, a knife that a lot of people admire or like, but, you know, and I think is a very good knife, but I, I would just have, like, one major nitpick with it. Well, I don't even know if you can call this a nitpick, but, you know, for me, that's actually, like, the Shirogorov F95. Um, I think that it's it's a very good knife. It's an amazing knife, and I love my F95R. Um uh, but I did. But I do wonder. You know, was it the best use of my money um, in terms of uh, in terms of collecting? You know, I sold a lot of knives to get it, um, and I was blown away by the action. I did have something like what I was talking about with with you a second ago, uh, or not a second, but a little bit ago, Mike. I did kind of have this epiphany when I got the F ninety five R in hand, and I realized, wow, this is another level. This is another level mm-hmm. of knife making. You know. But uh, the jump between, like, a $40 knife and a $400 knife, or, like, the $40 knife and the CRK um, on on, you know, which I still have, like, that was a bigger jump to me than from the CRK to the Shiro, you know? Mm. I, I think that makes sense, you know, this, this law of diminishing returns or, or whatnot. I'm not sure if that's the right way to apply that, but I think that makes sense. Um, but I do feel like, I, I kind of wonder, if we're saying that the Norsemen... Um, maybe isn't a nine hundred dollar knife at this point. I also I kind of wonder then what makes a Shiro F ninety five R a thousand dollar knife or eleven hundred dollar knife. Um, I mean I, I do love the knife. I think it's amazing. I'm glad to have one. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's I think the biggest thing for me. I, I feel like we 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 can complain or, or point to things like the butterfly tax, you know, with, with benchmates, where you're you're paying a little bit more for some kind of perceived value, which maybe we don't even perceive anymore, um, depending on where we are in the collecting hobby. But with the Shirogorovs, I feel like there's a lot of that. I feel like there's a lot of that extra. You know, when you start talking about custom divisions, I think that's a different thing. But in terms of the production lines, I do feel like they're a bit overpriced. I'm not sure that that's a sustainable... Uh, value, but but it seems to be sustaining. You know, people still pay for it, um, and they're still able to sell knives at the price points that they've chosen. But it just kind of, I don't know. That kind of that that would be one thing I feel like could be worth changing. You know, revisiting and seeing if maybe more people could get in on on these knives and, and get a sense for what they're like. That's Shirogorov territory, so that's Charlie's. Yeah. <laughs> I, um. I I, I mean, what you think about that? Yeah. So, I think when when people buy shiros, uh, you have to go into it with the right mindset and the right expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of hype and reputation or whatever uh, people may perceive about shiros, and that's why they get them. Um, but I can go off and list a few things they're not. Uh, for example, I think they often come up as on on the list of like best flippers ever or something like that. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, they're Why? very good flippers, 
I don't think they're anywhere near some of the best flippers. Um, well, it's for a few reasons, I think. Especially, I mean, if we're talking about the neon, I think the flipper tabs on those are not that good. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's no way to kind of deny that. They're low profile and they're low on the flipper um, or low on the knife, right? Mm-hmm. And two, their detents tend to err on the softer side. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not particularly crisp or anything. They're not, their acoustics are okay, I would say, especially if we're talking about, um, uh, what is it called? Especially if we're talking about these serial models. Um, mm-hmm. Their acoustics are okay. Uh, so, but what Shiro's are is, I think, another step up in quality from every other production knife, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, that are that's cheaper um, and honestly better than any other production knife that's more expensive. And what, what I mean by quality is, I guess a lot of people don't know this, but um, even the, the serial knives are, they have full hand ground blades. Um, and I don't know about you, but those are really those are ground extremely extremely nice all of them um i've yet to kind of get one with like like a fuck up at all right um the grinds are super even always super thin Mm -hmm. that plunge is insane i don't think anybody makes a plunge like they do Um, that's very true that's very true i didn't realize uh, they did that by hand on even the production level yeah um, charlie thinks they do it's 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 from it's from Tom. Tom tells me they do. I, I believe Tom, and it's the same thing for the the. the uh, so I guess to kind of get into a little bit of the differences, is that serial models are kind of done, at least the blades are done by hand, um, but it is assembled in a production line kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the custom division models are also obviously ground by hand. But the entire process is, like, by one person, like, their higher end, if you want to call it, like, production person, right? So it's not quite a full custom, but it is a full custom in the sense that one person is working, is responsible for it, so to speak. Um, But, yeah, so uh, if you set your expectations to kind of, okay, this is kind of your next level of fit and finish, um, your next level of um, full hand ground blades, and to be honest, their consistency is pretty good. It's not perfect. I think um, for the one amount of, the, of knives they do, it's it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really it's pretty, good. It's pretty unbelievable for yeah. how much volume they turn out and have each one be almost perfect. I want to say there yeah. there are definitely some that have issues. I think. Um, the most common you'll get is pretty much all of them are going to get lockstick out of the box. I think they, they usually go away within a week. At least they do for me. Um, their most, their centering is almost perfectly spot on. They pretty much always have zero play. Um, you know, there, there isn't just kind of the normal issues you would expect to get on production knives before that. They're just yeah. not present there. Yeah, that's true. Um, so if if that is where your expectation is, I think you won't be disappointed. But if you're if you flip Thorburns, if you flip like old Spectres and Servos and even some Riats and ZTs, you might not be particularly impressed with I a think, Shiro. I think that's action. where I was coming from. I think that was the issue for me because yeah, I had so at that point handled some. Yeah, yeah, I had handled yeah. some really nice. Um, examples of already very nice production knives um, and and small um, like customs like I think I had already I can't remember which one I got first I'm pretty sure I got my Koenig Arius first yeah I definitely did um, and I think that Koenig Arius which was roughly half the price actually the, the price I paid for it was, was even less than that but roughly half the price I was thinking well like if this knife is double the cost, it probably is a significant step up from the actions that I'm experiencing here. I mean, it's very naive thinking, um, sure. but that's what I was thinking. And so going into it with those kind of wrong expectations did create the sense of, oh, huh, I'm, I am getting a, a very diminished return. Even though there is a return, it is a very diminished one. Um, and so 
I guess that's, again, not really a nitpick um, about the knife itself. And, and maybe that's kind of the theme that we're seeing here. Um, because at a certain price point, I feel like knives cease to um, really be be just about what they are. You know, they seem to be about something bigger than, than you know, just the sum of their parts. Um, there's something else kind of at work, another layer of philosophy or expectation or or fantasy even. I don't know, uh, but but maybe that's kind of what we're getting at here. Um, but it, there did seem to be a little bit of that as an issue for me going into Shiro's when I did. Um, I'm sure if I handled them right before I got into some of these CNC customs, like that would not, would not have been the case. I would not have felt that at all. But having gone the other direction it does it does kind of, it did kind of strike me that way i think you bring up a good point charlie yeah i mean it just has all the pieces to be a really good knife it's got they, they've always been kind of ahead of the curve in terms of uh i guess technology i don't know if that's the right word um with regards to you know internal milling and it's another thing i've always really liked about them and maybe you don't care about and other people who don't like shiro's care about is they they pay attention to a lot of things that you don't normally do, right? Um, the example is always, I think, knives before them have done internal milling and weight savings, but that, that's why you did internal milling is to mm-hmm. save weight. But they did internal milling in a way to kind of, you know, to make it aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing for the bearing races. You know, you have these different designs there's the spiral multi-row there's the uh, mickey mouse multi-row and these aren't things that necessarily improve the action they probably don't but it's just an extra level of detail where you don't really need to um, but they do it anyway and i think at the end of the day that that that's a really good example because i know a lot of uh, machinists now are kind of uh, internal milling is not just about weight savings, right? It's about design now, mm. uh, and that that's well, yeah, really Craig Brown has that new internal milling that's like a circle and a triangle and a square, right? Um, so just to say, like I can do something fun, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's just uh, you know, if if this isn't something you care about, then obviously you're not going to get any bang for your buck because you don't care about this stuff, right? Yeah, um, and it's the same thing I think for the the. The finish on the knives are, I don't think you get that mm-hmm. any of the lower price stuff, right? Or up mm-hmm. until then on your Reats or your ZTs or your Benjamins right. or, or whatever. It's a very unique finish that I think is very good. It's very functional, right? Um, so I think altogether the package is unique um, is the best way to put it. But, you know, strictly... If you just went into this knife because you wanted the best flipper ever, you're probably you could be disappointed. Um, and you know, and I think that's what it was because I think a lot of the stuff that, like, if I had heard what you had just said, you know, if that had been explained to me, or if that's what I encountered in the forums, generally speaking, um, I think I would have had a different kind of set of expectations. But yeah. Yeah, the expectation that you you get from reading about these knives in in the forums and and seeing them the action videos and stuff on Instagram is that okay? This is all about the flipping and closing action. Um, right. But that that might be a bigger kind of gripe worth talking about sometime. Like how I feel like yeah, we we've as an industry have gotten so focused on that aspect of the knife that we're letting a lot of other things slip by mm. or maybe not paying attention to like, like recognizing that value can come elsewhere as well. And I think that's probably how I would talk to my younger self, you know, by a few months at least. Right. Right. Say, hey, like there's actually value elsewhere. Cause I did disassemble my Shiro F95R right after I bought it. Like right after I got it, like a couple days later, I had, I disassembled it. And I was actually very surprised by how beautiful it looked on the inside. Um, but it wasn't until then that I kind of connected, oh, this is also what I was paying for. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a really good knife knife. So it's it's uh, it's ergonomic. It's uh, I like the clip. I know some people don't like the clip. Um, 
and it's just crazy good at cutting stuff and their edges are really pretty and they're always very even and they're all mirror polished um and it's thin and i don't know it's it's just a good knife but not necessarily the best flipper i think the action can totally be improved if i'm being honest and this is uh true for some of the custom vision stuff too um is that i think they can do even better um i think the 95s and stuff have a better flipper tab than the neon so those tend to flip a little bit better Mm -hmm. but um ultimately you know it's not it's not a 10 out of 10 flipper um and the closing is very good but if you're going for the fastest closing ever i don't think it's a sheer either so uh, you know yeah it's just you know it's super consistent you, you pretty much you, you will it, it's kind of weird to say but when you get up to the eight nine hundred dollar marks for buying customs you don't always know you don't always get what you expect but i think the sheer you do uh, oh that's the that's that's what's so nice about it. I've only had maybe, I don't know, seven, eight Shiro's, but they are so predictable. I mean, if you ever buy one, you know mm. pretty much what you're going to get. And that quality control is fucking impressive with the kind of numbers they put out. Mm. And, and if I'm being it's honest, you know, they, they have really good crazy. warranty, too, if, if, you're, if you're patient. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So. And, Charlie, you're right. They have the nicest blades. Their grinds are... The grants are impeccable. Whoever really is, impeccable. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. I had no idea that they did that by hand. I, I, that kind of changes a lot of things for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone is a, is a world class. Like, <laughs> I think everyone just right. is, is perfect. Yeah. Well, you need one okay. knife just to take one knife mm. to live the rest of your life with, and you might have to do anything with it. That would be a good one. Just a knife. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I guess if, if we're talking about gripes, uh, I just think they can do better on the action. Oh, uh, the E10. Yeah. It was way D-10. soft on almost all the ones I've had. I agree. Except for that custom division one. That one was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I like that they're embracing their whole Shiro screw mentality and, you know, just running with it. And I like that. On all of, like, the newer custom divisions and full customs, you get a like a faux screw that kind of has a pattern, but isn't actually a screw. Mm. Uh, so they're just kind of embracing it, mm. which is nice. It's respectable. That's a reasonable take on Shiro's. Yeah. It's pretty thorough, Charlie. Man. So, so what's I didn't another... know some of those things either. Yeah. So I learned a couple things there. I'll, I'll, I'll do another one. Yeah. yeah. Because well, that's one of that, but before we move on, that's a maker that's sort of difficult to figure out what prefixes or, letters oh, at the yeah. end mean yeah. and stuff and all the different levels and three bears there's just so many fucking models like just have a ton of stuff and okay, it, I, it's, I, it's hard I, to wrap, a, your, wrap your head around all of it i had another one but i was i can switch it now so we can <laughs> talk about thorburn knives right since you were talking about letters and models and stuff <laughs> that's a gripe that's extremely um dense yeah that stuff is hard to to, to work your way through and try and figure everything out. I, I still haven't done it, you know? It's just intimidating. Yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's a learning curve. It's, uh, yeah. You need a degree. And <laughs> so I, I only have two, two real issues. Uh, I mean, at, at this point, we're, we're talking about knives that are pretty much perfect, so this is a heavy nitpick, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but my two would be... The first one is the the jimping near the flipper tab on the liners. Um, mm. That doesn't really serve a purpose. Uh, aesthetically, they don't line up with the jimping on the spine of the blade. Mm. Um, two, that's pretty much where your fingers go when you flip the knife, and you just kind of rub up against the jimping on the spine of the spine of the liners, and it's uncomfortable. Um, I think it should just be smooth, or it should I don't know. But it, 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 ideally, it would be chamfered right there. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the jimping there just doesn't do anything for me. Um, and the second thing would be, I think Andre Thorburn fit and finish really, really good. Uh, 
not not perfect obviously he does sometimes get them perfect but um it doesn't always be that way but mm. the the thing is and i mean i'm not i'm not recommending you do this because he he recommends against you <laughs> disassembling his knives you know uh but kind of when you do disassemble the the knives you will see flaws um you will see obviously it's, you're not meant to see these parts but you'll definitely see uh it's it's very unchiro let's just say um so you'll see scratch marks you'll see uneven stuff you'll see like kind of just not not entirely finished inside and out is kind of what i mean mm-hmm. um but i mean it, it is very nitpicky for a handmade knife right entirely handmade by one person so it is kind of nitpicky but it does lend to a I'm I feel like I've gotten to the point where I want perfection inside and out. So Yeah, yeah. I've had some that the liners were pretty beat up when I opened them. Yeah, it never really bothered me. But. Of, um, yeah, I think that's that's interesting because I feel like the sense I'm getting from this conversation, I keep I'm sorry to keep doing this, but I, I feel like I, as we're talking I'm just realizing that, you know, as much as we want to idealize certain knives or idealize certain classes of knives, we got to recognize that they're all still made by people, right? And and so there's going to be areas of improvement and areas of imperfection or where something's a little bit less than ideal. Um, and I think that there's this, like, myth that if you spend enough money, you can have a perfect knife. Mm-hmm. Um, but And maybe those unicorns exist, I feel like. You know, Charlie, you may have come across a couple in in, in recent history um, for yourself, and and I certainly have a couple of knives that I think of as essentially perfect. But um, I, I'm pretty sure we could all point to models like that in our own collections. But generally speaking, like this idea of the perfect knife that you can just keep throwing money at and then it ends up being flawless is not really a real thing. I feel like and. And I think that can be a little disappointing if that's what you're, if that's not what you're expecting. Uh, but once you kind of ex- like accept that, then then exploring these different knives can become pretty fun, um, even if you come across things that you would prefer not to have seen or or not to have to deal with, you know. Um, but but yeah, like, I feel like in in the last um, uh, few the last few custom knives that I've bought, you know, where, again, you're hitting that price point where past Eugene or younger Eugene would have thought, okay, yeah, there's going to be nothing wrong with this knife, period, full stop, you know? Um, in the last few custom knives I've purchased, yeah, I mean, there's been stuff that's kind of glaring, like like an uneven swedge here that on a pretty large blade where you would think, okay, mm-hmm. this is very noticeable. You would think that um, something like this would be... Uh, there be care taken to avoid this a lot, but you know um, that's that's just kind of the reality that you you, you face. You, you you can't end up defending against everything. Um, now, now that all that being said, there are some guys who who really take a lot of pride in in put, presenting a knife or producing a knife that is really in in some sense flawless. And and I think one of those guys is like Sharp by Design. You know, as controversial as this mm-hmm. guy might have become, I think it's really hard to argue that his knives are not even if you don't like his kind of detent or his approach to to the engineering of his knife or whatnot i think it's really hard to argue that his knife his knives are not perfect you know i mean all the grinds are very even all of the the milling is done just exquisitely you know um if you have an issue with sharp by design you it might be because of other things but it's it's going to be hard i'd be hard pressed to find a reason to have an issue with them as a knife but you know that kind of gets us to to another topic that maybe we'll we'll be able to cover in a fuller episode at some point, uh, which is just knife companies that we absolutely love, you know, and just our favorite knife companies. You probably gotten a sense, all of you listening out there, you probably have gotten a sense of what that some of those might be for us here. But that might be a, a topic worth visiting in a in a full length episode in the future. What do you think, guys? We should do that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that when fun. we have a full when we have a full roster. Yeah, when uh, when Frank is back from healing people, uh, yeah, we can uh, maybe he'll have time to, to chat with us about that. I think that'd be great. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of just want to bring up the point that you know a lot of a lot of what we uh, a lot of what we covered are these are all excellent knives. I think especially uh, as we progressed. I, I think at least for me, um, Shiro and Thorburns are easily two of my top three favorite makers of all time. You know, so it, it is it is just kind of nitpicky. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it's 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 like you said, um, whatever you have envisioned and idealized may not necessarily exist, no matter how much money you throw at something. Um, so. But that's part of the fun, right? Chasing those unicorns and seeing if maybe we can catch one unawares and find and bring it home. You know, I think that is part of the fun of the knife hobby. And that's how you learn about it. Like Charlie was saying, when you know, when he when Charlie in the beginning said, "Well, do you know, would you think the same about that 940 if you have it now?" Probably not. But you know, that's you pay attention to more and more shit. Yeah, and that is part of the education and part of the fun. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to begin to a close here. Um, again, I, I've been Eugene Kwan, and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube under that, E-U-G-E-N-E-K-W-O-N. This is Mike. I'm Bloom and Blade on Instagram. And this is Charlie. I'm accidentally knives on Instagram. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. And until the next one, you guys have yourselves a nice knife life. <laughs>